0: Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we hope you join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We are located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After the message, take a moment and visit our website at vcctulare.com. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, if you'll turn to John 7, really the end of John 6 is where we're going to start out at. But for, you, for those of you that were here last week, you might remember we, we ended with talking about belief. And Jesus was at the the synagogue in Capernaum, and here 's another picture of that and as we go through john i 'll bring out more and more pictures and and all that because this just kind of brings a, a different visual, different connection that we have when we actually see those places. But uh, as he was teaching that, it, you know I, I was thinking about how easy it is sometimes that we go through all the traditions and how easy it is to actually talk about believing and how easy it is to to study about believing and and how simple it seems sometimes to just believe. But at the same time, when the rubber meets the road, do we really follow through on our, on our belief? Christ said that it would be work to believe. And we talked a lot about that last week and you know the people were asking for more miracles. They had, you know, seen the, the miracles through the last few days and as they followed him across the lake and stuff, they were asking him for more miracles. And the people were asking for more tangible things they could point at and see and say that, right there, that is what I believe in. And it's, it's easy to believe when we point and say, okay, it's tangible things. See that right there? That's what I believe in. I mean, a lot of times that's why we build church buildings. So we can say, see, that's, that represents what I believe. And, and while those things are, 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 can be excellent, it's not about the building. It's about the relationship. Instead of just saying, I believe. And ultimately, that's what Christ wants us to do, is to believe. Believe first, and, and, and then the miracles in our lives and miracles around us will happen. To believe first, and then he provides for us, and, and not the opposite. The opposite is, show me first, and then I'll think about it, and then I'll think about it some more, and, and then maybe, maybe then I'll believe, as long as I, I, I continue to see things. And this is exactly what the crowd was, was saying and thinking, and Jesus understood this. So far in the book of John, and it's good for us to periodically to, to kind of look at the big picture, you know. We get into to the de- details of verse by verse teaching, and sometimes we've got to back up and go, okay, let's look at the overall, what's going on in the book of John. So first of all, we, we see Jesus telling Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to be born again. And that whole discussion about, okay, uh, are we talking earthly born again? Because I can't go back into my mother's womb. I'm a little big now, you know, all those things. And and that whole, you know, all the ins and outs on that. And then we see Jesus healing a guy on the Sabbath that, that he has control over flesh. And then we see him telling a Samaritan woman, I am the water of life, control over nature. And then Jesus shows us his dominion over the land with the loaves and fishes and feeding 20,000 people and over the water as he walked on water and, you know, then he says, I am the bread of life. He's, what John is doing here is John is taking on his journey to to see, you know, how Jesus really is God himself. And he was writing that to those at the time saying, I want to show you who Jesus is. And, and it's good for us to understand that because he's also writing that to us. He came down to this earth to save us. So he's taking us readers on this journey with him. And he takes us down to a path where, where Jesus is the only way to get to the Father. The only way to, to be in heaven with the Father. Jesus is the only way to heaven. No dispute, just fact. And it involves you know, our belief in Him. So simple, yet so complicated in so many different ways. The simple part is coming to understand that there is a, a Creator that loved me enough to come and save me, to die for me in all my sinfulness, to accept me into heaven, into His place that He's prepared for me when I die. Not because of my own goodness or, or how much I do or how much I serve or how much I give or, you know, all those things that would involve doing. Only because I believe in Him. Now, the really hard part is now that I believe, how, how does my life change or how do I change my life to reflect upon that belief? And it can be a slow progress. You know, mess up. Confess, say, I'll never do it again, and then turn around and very quickly, soon after that, find myself doing the same thing. The goal is, as we do that, that we have longer periods of time in between that same sin. And eventually we'll turn around one day and go, Wow, I'm not doing that anymore. Praise the Lord. And we start to understand that the Lord, the Holy Spirit working in us, is starting to change us. Do you want to know if you're a maturing Christian? You know, that, that's always, we hardly ever self-assess. We are hardly, we, we love to point out other people and go, well, you know, they've been, they've been really maturing or, or wow, they've really <laughs> gone the other way really quick. You know, we, we love to point out, you know, think in our own minds and point out other people and talk about it and say, but we hardly ever self-assess here. Then ask yourself this year, does my life reflect more about Christ and the fruit of the, uh, of the spirit more than it did last year at this time? Can I look back at my life and go, okay, last year I was this way. Now, I still have a long ways to go because my life is... I'm still human. I have that human part of me. I still have sin and so forth. But this year, does my life have more of the fruit of the Spirit in me than it did last year? And for many of us, the answer would be yes. Some of you are thinking, man, I'm struggling with this. And, and and that's okay because we are here to support each other as we struggle along in this journey. Because sometimes it really is a struggle. Sometimes it's like we just got to get over that one thing that's holding us back in this life that prevents us from really going gun hole for Christ. And we're here to support each other in that struggle because it is a struggle. So John tells us that because it's, it's not always easy to believe that many of the disciples... And we're talking about the larger group. We're not talking about the 12 disciples. At this point, when he says disciples, we're talking like you know hundreds of, of people that are following him. Many of his disciples left. They just walked away. They were there to see the miracles. And, and then it got a little hard, and they left. And Christ challenges his disciples, and he says, do you also want to leave? Now, last, year, last week when I was teaching, I, I was kind of cracking up especially right when I said that I kind of got a little smirk on my face because somebody had to get up and go do something I don't know, what it, I don't know if it was a nurse call or what and I always went okay goodbye guys <laughs> because it just happened at that exact same time so I was kind of cracking myself up um, you guys don't laugh at my jokes so I have to laugh at my own jokes <laughs> but I, also, I almost said do you also want to leave okay see you later you know you know, I, I am amazed at one thing, though. There's so many times that people have said, Well, you know, I was talking to you, and I think you were preaching about me in your sermon. And that could be a positive or a negative. Because what I, I try not to ever preach toward a person during a sermon. But just because it just never works out. They're, they're always offended. or it just, And that's really, for me, not being led by the Holy Spirit. Um, there's been even times where uh, I've been counseling with somebody, and I, my sermon's already done. And I said, "Here, c- come look at my notes. I, I want you to see this now because I'm preaching, on, I'm teaching on this on Sunday, and I don't want you to think that I wrote up my notes just because I talked to you." You know, sometimes the Lord deals with people and, and the Spirit has me touch on something where that person goes, you know, and, and, and what, what that's going on. And, and they're saying, that's me. So if, if that happens, you know, if it's the truth, don't blame me. Talk to the Holy Spirit about that. Well, let's get back into the Word. Chapter 1, verse 68. Peter gave a great answer when the Lord said, Do you also want to leave? He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what a profound and simple answer that is. And, and Peter was really on the right track and the right track to, to stay on. And, and, you know, he may get tired, may need to take a break every now and then from that track, or not necessarily from the track, but just slow down, take a break, you know, get some water. But he never stops the race. He never says, I am done. And last week we talked about how, you know, the synagogue of Capernaum is, is right across the street, literally, from where Peter's house is. You can see Peter's house from the synagogue. And you could at that time. And how Peter could see from his house that synagogue. You know, it's just right there. And he's going, do you, do you also want to leave? Your home's right there. And Peter's going, where else should I go? Uh, could I go? Yeah, my home's right there. But, but you have the truth, God. So we pick up in in chapter 7 today, and it says, After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now what John does here, and it's kind of weird for us, because we're used to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they kind of go in a chronological order, and you kind of see the progression of the years. But what, what, what John does here, he jumps to the last year of Jesus' earthly ministry. He just, like... Skips a period of time here, so we're jumping to the very last year. In fact, the the rest of the book is about la- the last year of Jesus's life. The other gospels tell us about you know a lot more about the first two years, but John he kind of just gets right to the point. Here, you know, he sets this up for he sets um, up for his readers, you know, now and then, and you know who Jesus is, who Jesus claims to be, and we've kind of gone through that the first six chapters. Who Jesus proves himself to be. And then right to the purpose of his coming. So in the final year of his ministry is the most dangerous time for, for Christ down in Jerusalem. Because they've already been plotting to kill him. This is why he's in the northern region up in Galilee. And it says here in verse 2, Now the Jews', uh, now the Jews feast of tabernacle was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea. That your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to, to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Now, what we're talking about here is his real brothers. And, and yes, we know they're half brothers because, because, you know, God is his father. But nonetheless, they're relatives. They're his brothers. So John is very clear here. They're not followers of Jesus yet. They're not believers yet. And, and uh, you know, we know that uh, James, you know, becomes a really true, just, just solid believer and, and, and one of the leaders of the early church when he does become a believer in Jesus. But he's in Capernaum and they're saying, Hey, Jesus, come on, man, you're, you're, you're losing people. You need to go down to Capernaum. You know, let us, let us help you start up your, your marketing strategy because you're really not doing well up here. You're kind of in secret. Go down there. All your followers, they'll start following you. We, we, we can map this out better for you. And they're just being brothers. I, I don't know about you. We just, you know, had the holiday. And, and did anybody on the holiday get unsolicited advice from a relative? Now you know what i 'm talking about, right when you 're just sitting around and they say, "Well, Alan, you should be doing this, blah blah blah, or or you, or, you know with my brother's Josh, you really should be doing this, or you know, and, and you just kind of look at them like you've got to be joking, you have no clue what we 're talking about for one two you you don 't really know the situation they 're just interjecting, and that 's kind of what his brothers are doing here and and they 're just like you know and they go listen you 're getting nowhere here." in Galilee. If I were you, I would take it to Judea. You know, the Feast of Tabernacles is coming up, and the crowd is is pretty much ready-made for an insurrection, ready-made to to believe in somebody else other than the leadership of the church here. You know, you won't even have to do pamphlets. You, You can save money. They'll just come flocking to you. But I also see kind of a challenge here. Come on, man. If you really are who you say you are, you got followers coming and going it's it's kind of weird Here's some suggestions and like any brother he shows his appreciation in verse six then jesus said to them my time has not yet come but your time is always ready now this is really a major rebuke what he's saying is this there is no timing to your life at whatsoever you're just living there's no sense to your life you're you're always ready for anything you can't see the big picture. My life has been planned out. Verse 7, it says, The world cannot hate you. You've done nothing really to cause the world to hate you, guys. But it hates me because I testify of its, uh, its works are evil. You see, as long as you're fitting into this world, the world could care less about you. They, they really There's no reason to hate you if you're fitting right in. There's no reason to, to dislike how you live your life if you're acting just like them. They're not going to think you're kind of weird. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to be out there going, "Wow, well, we don't like that person." Or not invite you to a party because you know, all, all they're going to talk about God again, we don't want to invite them. If you act just like the world, there's no reason for you, for the world to hate you. But if you really start to plug into the whole Jesus thing and, and, you know, you start having a different sense, a a different value in your life and you start calling evil by its name and you start calling good, good. And, 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 you know, the world is not going to take to that too much. The world's not going to like that too much in your own life. But Jesus is saying the world loves you guys. You're just like them. Verse 8, he says, You go up to the feast. I'm not, I'm not yet going to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he, he also went up to the feast. He basically ditched them, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some, some said, He is good, and others said, No, nah, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. But everybody has an opinion. And this is what is exciting when, when people in a community start to see Christians acting on their beliefs, people perk up and they start taking notice. People start to notice, and they start to have opinions on on what that church is doing, on whether it's good, whether it's bad, you know, all the ins and outs on that. And as and and you know, that's what we really want in our lives. We we you know, when we allow the Lord to work in our life, then people start to take notice. They start to form opinions, and, and you know, now the key is to to take Jesus and implement that in our everyday life, so they do start taking notice, and we we act like Jesus, and then they start to give their opinions. You know, sometimes we're very docile as Christians. Well, I guess I can't really say anything. That's her life. We need to start pointing out when evil is evil. We need to start, you know, complimenting when things are good. We need to start living our life out and start reflecting our values in this world. You know, so many times I think we sit back and we don't say anything when we should. And I think that's a tragedy. Sometimes we... You know, get criticized and, and we just kind of sit back and take it on the chin. And, and I think that's good for the most part. But how we respond to an outright attack, people start taking notice. When you respond negatively to a verbal attack, when you respond negatively to a computer, or email, or a Facebook attack, people take notice of that and they go, Did you see the post? Did you did you see what they wrote down? Did you hear what they said to me? I thought they were a Christian. Man, what a disservice that is. We we need to encourage each other to and back each other up. There, there's times when we need to stand up and say, you know what, that is evil, I'm a Christian, I'm not gonna do that. There's ways to do that in a in a in a healthy way. There's ways to do that to, in a responsible way as, as, as a Christian. But when we do it in an irresponsible way, we need to encourage each other not to go the irresponsible route. Not to, to always respond negatively to the negativism, if that's a word. If <laughs> especially in a public forum, especially I you know with, with Facebook, I, I'm amazed at uh, certain friends that I've grown up with, and that that are even even young men and women that have been part of my ministries and key people in my ministries, and and some of the things they say. I, is, It's Like, I haven't talked to him for a while, but I just want to email him and say, did you really mean it like that? Because that's not the same person that I knew back when. Where's your life going? And I think there's times when we need to do that. We've got to be careful when to do that and how to do that. But we need to start, start, you know, kind of chiding each other. We need to start backing up each other, encouraging each other, and sometimes rebuking each other and saying, that's really not how, as a Christian, we should act. And this is what is happening with Jesus. People are talking and, and they're watching him. They're watching how he responds. In verse 14 it says, Now about in the uh, now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? In other words, the alphabet. How can this man read? How can this man do, do all this when he's never really studied? Jesus answered them and, and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak from my own authority. He who speaks for himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who has sent sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered, him, uh, answered and said, You have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered them and said, I did one work, and you all marvel. Moses, therefore, gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but it was from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well, on the Sabbath is is that what this is about guys you're still mad about that when I healed the guy on the Sabbath is that what this is about do not judge according to appearance but judge with righteous judgment now If you were in first century living at this time, you wouldn't be lost in this at all. And and John probably has lost a few of us. And and the first time Jesus was was here, what was he doing? He was walking around healing people. And he walked by the the pools that that the Spirit supposedly stirred up, and and the first person to actually make it into the water was was supposedly healed. And and whether that was true or not, we we really don't know. It's it's just written down in the history of the Josephus history. And... But Jesus comes along and says, do you want to be well? Then pick up your mat and walk. So the, so this guy has been laying by this pole for 38 years, rolls up his mat, which according to the Mosaic law, according to the rules, Deuteronomy and Leviticus and all that, you weren't supposed to do that. That was considered work. Then he picks it up. Oh, rule number two, you broke. You're not supposed to pick anything up because you're working again. And three, he starts carrying it around. And so he goes to the temple where he's not been able to worship his Lord and Savior, his Lord, the, the, you know, the God that he calls the true God. He goes to worship him. And they're going, hey, dude, dude. Uh, no, stop. Put down the mat. Back away. You're not supposed to be doing that. You're, you're breaking the law. You can't come in here. Sorry. You can't come into the temple now. I mean, how outrageous is this? Now, amazing thing is this. We, we think, you know, too often Jesus is all about grace. I mean, he healed the guy for crying out loud, right? But he came back around and found the guy. And do you remember what he told him? He told him the truth. See, we, didn't, we don't know why this guy was crippled, but but two people did. Jesus and that guy. They, both of them knew why this man had been crippled. So Jesus shows back up, and, and the guy's like, Hey, hey, by, by the way, they're all asking what your name is. Can you tell me your name? And Jesus is like, You need to listen to me. And here's the the plain hard truth that Christ gives. He tells the guy, you know the thing that got you crippled? You need to stop doing that or something worse is going to happen to you. Grace, the healing, with truth, the warning. Grace and truth going hand in hand, going together. And the Jews were were mad at Jesus and they started plotting all the way back then. Why? Why? because he broke the Sabbath right next to the temple how dare he but what were they really tra- you know what were they really feeling what were they really saying we don't like you in any minor detail that you do wrong according to our laws we're gonna point it out Jesus says I made this guy well would you not circumcise a guy on the Sabbath of course you would but this guy, he's totally whole because of what I did. I connected him with God like no one ever could, like you couldn't. And you have a problem with that? And he's confronting them for, for how silly their religion has become. Verse 25, he goes on, he says, Now some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he who, whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Basically, he's saying stuff in, in, in a way that, that these guys wouldn't ever say to them. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? So the rulers really know that they're in trouble. Their power, their, their base of, of, of who they are is starting to erode away with this man that, they, that is called the Christ. Verse 27 says, however, we, may, uh, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he's from. Ugh, this man, he, he's from Nazareth. We know that. But you know, Christ comes, we're not supposed to know. That's what they're saying here. Then Jesus cried out as he taught them in the temple, saying, "You both know me, uh, you both know me, and you know where I'm from. I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know." But I know him, for I am from him, and he has sent me. Guys, I'm from the Father, the man that you call God, and you do not even know him. I mean, I could just see their blood boiling here. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. And many of his people believed in him, and said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these, which this man has done? Come on, guys, don't you see? He is the Christ, they are saying to the, to the others. Verse 32, he goes on and says, The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I will go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. Then then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go that he shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the uh, dis, uh, dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? In other words, where all the Jews are going out, you know, the Romans are, forced, uh, Romans are forcing everybody out. Is he planning on going to Greece? Is he planning on going to Italy? Is he planning on going somewhere else? What is this thing he said? You will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. So all the commentators start coming out, and the debate starts. What does he mean? I mean, the whole town is talking about this. They're getting ready for a feast, so everybody is there in this town of Jerusalem. Anybody could go to a feast in Jerusalem, that's what they would want to do. I mean, this would be like, you know, 4th of July, where would be a cool place to go? The nation's capital, you know? I mean, that would be a really cool place. Well, for a Jew, it was so much more meaningful to get to Jerusalem for these feasts. And the religious leaders, they didn't like all these conversations. Why? They couldn't control these conversations. They couldn't control the people. Now this whole thing is happening in the, in the context of the Feast of the Tabernacles. Do you, do you understand what the, the feast is about? It's really an awesome feast. The Jews, uh, to this day, some of them still celebrate this feast, and uh, it's one of their favorite Jewish feasts, and it's, it comes in, in October, about six months after Passover, and the weather is just, it, it kind of really cools off in the desert to, Desert to day, you know, it kind of cools down. It's almost like San Francisco during the summer, where, where, you know, it could be 100 degrees and it'll cool down to, you know, 60, 65 at night. It, it's it's kind of really nice, and basically it's a national camping trip. And for you that that love to camp, you'll follow right along. You'll be right there with it. For you that don't love to camp, okay, we're well, just going to have to imagine it. Um, but it's a national camping trip, and, and and what they do for these feasts of the tabernacles, this they actually call it the feast of boots. It's a little different than our modern day camping, but everybody moves out of their houses. If you live in Jerusalem, if not, you come, and, and uh, you, you know, if you can't make it to Jerusalem, you kind of get out of town. You kind of get out of, of the hubbub of everything that's going on, and. So it kind of becomes this whole family tradition of, a, a, you know, every year type of trip. You know, almost like our Thanksgiving or, or the holidays. Some people do the same thing every year. You start new traditions. It's a very traditional thing that they would like to do. So for one week, you would camp out. You, you don't go back to your home, and, and you set up these really flimsy booths, kind of, you know. It, it'd be like going down and getting the scraps from the, from, from the dumpster down at Lowe's or Home Depot and trying to build a, you know, a one-room little shack thing. I mean, kind of got the holes in the roof. And all that, and the breeze is is, you know coming through, and the roof is kind of rattling, and and and, you know, at nighttime you're you're sitting there and you can actually look up and you'd be able to see the stars at night. And they really just love this. The kids were all out of school. I mean, you can imagine the kids just loving it. I mean, every year they would look forward to this feast. And what they're celebrating is the Lord saving them from the wilderness that God had you know provided and protected them during that wilderness time. But you, you also get this feeling that, you know, you know, kind of what it was like to be out in the wilderness, uh, you know, for the modern day Jew in a sense. It's been so many years since they were actually, you know, you know, since the nation had actually started that they called themselves Israel. And this was a time when there was no Israel as a nation land wise for them. So they're out there under the stars and they would teach their kids the history. They would tell the stories of the wilderness and they would say, you know, we used to not have Jerusalem. We had to to fight to win this city. We had to fight to be able to worship in this city. And every morning, you know, at least in Jerusalem, you all gather around the temple and there would be a parade. And you can see why all the kids would love this. And the priests would come out and they would be all dressed up in their finest robes. We're not just talking about your everyday priest robes. We're talking about the finest, the most expensive robe that you could come up with. The priests would be having these and and they would have these solid gold pitchers uh, that you could put water into. And everybody would be chanting and singing, and they would go all the way down to the pool of Siloam. And, and they actually have uncovered this pool uh, recently, and I got one kind of small picture of it through a gate because they haven't opened it up, and I'll bring that out uh, hopefully next week. And, and what they would do is they would dip the, these golden pitchers down into the water and fill them up. And while this is going on, Israel would be singing Isaiah 12. And it is, you know, it's just like one huge choir. And after this song, they were supposed to be quiet for the rest of the day. They were supposed to reflect on Isaiah 12. So what they would sing is the priest would say, behold, God is my salvation. And the people would sing back, I will trust and not be afraid. And then they would just bust out cheering. I mean, they would just, just go crazy. And then the priest would say, for yea, the Lord is my strength and my song. And the people would sing out, He has also become my salvation. And then they would just cheer. Could you imagine a million people doing this at one time? Then everybody would go on to, to, to sing. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. You understand what he's saying? We'll draw water, and they got the golden pitchers filled up. You'll draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the people, Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he's done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. And at the end of the song, they would all fall silent. And at that moment when they fell silent, the priests would take these these pitchers of water and they would dump them on the Temple Mount, and it would go over the side. And it was supposed to be so quiet that you could actually hear the water hitting the ground and being poured out. It was supposed to remind them that God brought, you know, brought forth water to them in the desert in Exodus 17. But did you catch that last verse of Isaiah 12 there? Verse 6, it says, Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Who is among them in John 7 right now in Jerusalem? Jesus Christ, God Himself, is in their midst. They're crying out for Him and He's right there among them, God Himself, the Great One, the Holy One, right there among them, revealing Himself to them. So this is what's happening when in verse 37, right as everyone falls silent. Jesus stands up on that great day of feast, and he cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, and it's dead silent. And everybody just kind of looks around at him, like, Who's doing that? What, what is he saying? You could imagine the, the impact, because, I mean, this is very important for Israel. They were all silent. Now, if somebody had been praying around in front of you with these jugs of water, you're kind of out in the desert, it's not too hot. But you're in a dusty climate. It'd make you thirsty. They're pouring out the water. Everybody's silent. Jesus cries out, If anyone thirst, I could imagine his brothers at this point going, No, 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 no. You're messing up the marketing strategy. You're going to be, make people mad at you. So he stands up and goes, Hey, you guys. Now that we've done this for seven days, anyone still thirsty? Because I'm dying of thirst here. Religion has made me thirsty. What you're doing in that temple is not satisfying. Is anyone still thirsty? If they are, they can come to me right now. The only criteria is that you're thirsty. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow flow rivers of living water. What Jesus is doing here, He's defining what it means to be a follower of Him. See, to become a follower of Jesus Christ is not an intellectual pursuit. It's not about studying and you know all the religions and then deciding, okay, which one fits me best. That is not enough. Jesus says, you have to come to me and say, Jesus, I'm thirsty. I qualify because I'm thirsty. I've tried a lot of things to quench my thirst. And I still have this spiritual thirst. I still have this thirst. Jesus, I need your water. And when we get this water, it is so good we start to drink it, uh, drink it up. Now what is really sad is how many people come to Jesus once in their life and they say... I'm thirsty, and we call this salvation, and they get saved, and then they never really come back for another drink. He didn't say, I'll fulfill you one point. Now, I'm not talking about salvation and pulling back salvation. I I'm I'm, don't mean that, so don't, don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is, there's a Holy Spirit that lives in us. They're supposed to, to have, you know, this welling of water that just, this spring that just flows out of us. Not trickles, not just kind of a few droplets every now and then, not when we're going to get hit and, you know, it just kind of sloshes out. But these rivers of, of His Spirit coming out of us. But so many never really come back for that drink. Do you know anybody like this? You would know them. I mean, you can spot them pretty good. They, they bear no fruit. They were religiously dry. They're trying to earn their salvation. They're trying to work their way into to salvation, which they've already received because they came to Christ and said, I'm thirsty and he's filled them up. And Jesus is saying, no, guys, you're, you're not getting it. I'm not saying come to me once and that's it. I'm saying continually come to me and drink and keep drinking. And then you'll start to drink just because it tastes good. Not because you're so thirsty anymore. But just because of the goodness that's there. So, what happens is he fills us up to overflowing and that outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we have. And in verse 39 it says, But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit is not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. They didn't have it yet, but we do. We have this outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives and we can flow, and it can flow abundantly out of us because we are continually filled when we go back to Him and say, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. He keeps filling us up. I think it's so sad today. There's so many Christians out there that when hit, when kind of sideswiped, kind of knocked upside the head, Jesus does not come out of them at all. Not even a drop, not even a trickle. That when hit, ugliness comes out. Not what Jesus intended to come out. See, that that is of the world. Jesus intended that whole rivers would flow out of us in our daily life. Do you feel like this morning that the river of God flows out of you? If you don't, then come to Jesus and he will fill you up. Come to him and say, I'm thirsty again fill me up with your spirit and he'll say okay could you read my word a little bit more i'd like for you to learn about me i'd like for you to i want to put myself in you even more i want you to understand the power that you have in your life on a daily basis because you know where that power comes from because you've studied me you understand what's inside of you do you really feel like the river flows out of you today then come back to him and get filled come back to him and let him take some of that crud out of your lives and fill you up with himself with the living water these priests they went down with golden pitchers and their finest robes and filled up these water jugs and went back up and they poured it out they did this for 7 days and then they put those jugs in a beautiful closet and waited for another year. Don't wait for another year. Don't do it for seven days and put the jugs away. Do it on a daily basis. Be filled on a daily basis. Because that water dries up, it's gone. The water that Jesus wants to give us, the living water, doesn't dry up unless we put the dam up in front of it so it stops flowing. Don't put the dam up. Release his Holy Spirit in your life. Release it. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that your spirit would just work amongst us. Your spirit that was here that that helped form this earth. Your spirit that was with Moses in the ark. Your spirit that was released onto us when Jesus died on the cross and that you gave it to the people in Acts. That spirit lives in us, Lord. And I pray that you allow that to become active in our life, that, to, to put a desire in our life that we'll come to you and say, I am thirsty. Allow your spirit to just flow out of me. And I pray, Lord, that when we do that, that we go with a sincere heart, that we go with, with a desire that, to, to have you really implement yourself into our lives, that we'd be willing to clean out some of the closets. We're willing to, to get rid of some of the crud in our own lives to make room for you. And then when we get hit, Lord, that what splashes out is a reflection of who we are in you. A reflection of who we are as we say we're, we're Christians. A reflection of who we are. So, so the world looks at us and goes, wow, that, that's not what I was expecting. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just take this church to a next level. That we become the, you know, we get to a point where we love each other so much. That people walk in and they just go, Wow. The Spirit is in this church. Not because of ourselves, but because of who you are and how we try to, to put you in our life. Lord, I pray for those that are, that are going through this holiday season that, you know, for some it's such a joy and for others it's, it's such a pain. I pray that you fill them up with your Spirit. That you make these holidays, uh, this season, just to, to be the, the greatest holiday season they've ever had in their life because of, of you working in their lives. That you bring friends around them. That you bring us together as one. We thank you, Lord. We, We thank you that you didn't just stop with pouring the water out on the temple. That you allowed that pouring of the Spirit into our lives. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May a Spirit just well up in you. May it spring forth in your life. May his face never turn from you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.